I'm Stuart Sheldon. My name's Ron Rothberg. 30 years ago, I was on Wall Street. I was the youngest vice president at my fancy company, but that's not what I wanted to do. After spending nearly 25 years in media, I knew things were changing, both in the industry and inside me. Swan Dive shares the powerful stories of those who had the clarity and backbone to make a major life pivot to their vision. I took a Swan Dive. I have been an artist ever since, and it's the best choice I ever made. Getting closer to who you really are. That's Swan Dive. Dr. Nozipo Mariore spent her life becoming becoming a writer, a neurosurgeon, a mother, a wife, a patriot. For Nozipo, becoming meant constantly rattling her identity. If I could write a prescription, everybody would have to lose their identity at some point. Whatever it is that they are, um, they have wrapped themselves in as an identity, I would unravel it so that they would have to see themselves in the purity of of who they are without that wrapping. And that's the that's really the swan dive, right? Because you were a banker, but now you're gonna be a filmmaker. Today, we unwrap gifts of wisdom, purpose, and service to others. Welcome to Swan Dive. From the Peacock and Park Studios in Jacksonville, Florida, and in Central America and Costa Rica at the Fancy Nasty Studios, this is another edition of Swan Dive with Stu Sheldon and Ron Rothberg. Stu, we're living in a world where it seems like we're living in a fictitious novel that's actually fact. How's everything going in Costa Rica? Oh, my friend, it is truly, truly an insane moment um, on so many levels. Uh, a sad moment and a very unsettling moment. Um, however, today's guest is, a, for me, uh, uh, an island in the storm, a beautiful, beautiful human being uh, who really personifies uh, clarity and excellence. And so I, I, I really feel good right now. I feel great <laughs> in my gut and excited and, uh, you know, optimistic. We are very proud to welcome Nozipo Marire, the first African female neurosurgeon, a proud Zimbabwean. She received her undergraduate degree from Harvard and completed her neurosurgery training at Yale. An entrepreneur and a writer, she's the author of Zenzele, A Letter for My Daughter, a 1996 New York Times Notable Book of the Year and a Boston Globe bestseller. In 2010, she was one of the winners of the British Airways Entrepreneur Face-to-Face -face Award for her entry in uh, uh, Ecosurgica a vision for cutting-edge affordable health care in South Southern Africa. Her TED Talk, titled Indigenous Indigenous, has had thousands of favorable reviews she's received on many boards, including the Rotary Foundation, the St. George's Board of Governors, the Rhodes Scholarship Selection Committee, among others. Uh, Nozipo, you live in Zimbabwe with your beautiful husband, Alan, and your four children. I know they're around the country. Uh, we spoke to Alan Chiora a few weeks ago on Swan Dive, and this is part B of that conversation. Welcome to Swan Dive. Thank you so much. That's wonderful. And I do feel like it's part B because he's he gets an A for sure. <laughs> well, I, I want to, but I want to jump in here and say that like this, this is this is part A 2.0. Uh, uh you, you know, we're, we're not, we're not, this isn't a patriarchal podcast <laughs> by any means. Um, uh, <laughs> welcome. I, I'll just say it right up front. I love you and I'm so proud to have you here. And, uh, you are, you are a very special person. Uh, you and I go back, I guess about 30 years, you and, you and my sister, Julie were 
college mates at Harvard. And, uh, and here we are all grown up. Um, and <laughs> it's very exciting to kind of have you in this artistic experiment that is Swan Dive and, and, and drill into, into what you're about. So, so thanks for being here and making the time. Thank you. Um, well, we're going to just jump into the fire. We're not going to play games around here. <laughs> and so I'm going to start it off and say to you, Dr. Marare, what was your swan dive? <laughs> Stuart, you know, I have been thinking about your question ever since we've had our conversation. And I close my eyes and I imagine myself with my bare feet on this wooden diving board, just sort of bouncing. And then I give one bounce and then I'm airborne and I hold my breath and I'm looking down and it's a long way down and I just go for it. Mm. And at some point I know I'm going to plunge. And I think that's what you're after. That's what swan dive is. And I realize I've taken that leap three times in my life, but it's the same leap. As a neurosurgeon, I'm somebody who is very detail-oriented. I like predictability. I don't like surprises. I like to plan it out. I micromanage. Um, and for me, the ultimate swan dive is taking a leap into the unknown, entrusting, trusting where I can't plan. I can't navigate the coordinates. It is pure faith in the outcome. The first for me was marrying Alan <laughs> because mm -hmm. I didn't really want to get married. I um, had many passions and things that I wanted to do, but I really didn't feel that marriage per se was something that I needed to do to accomplish who I was going to be, what I wanted from life. So marrying him was a dive, holding my breath, jumping in and trusting that we could make it work for the rest of our lives that we would commit to each other, that whatever came, we would handle it together, that I'd be with him, as they say, for better or for worse, till death do us part. I mean, that's pretty frightening if you think about it deeply. Um, the night before the wedding, when my friend said, what's the matter with you? I, I don't think you're afraid of anything, but you're, you sound like you're kind of scared. I was like, it's the only thing I'm afraid of because it's a life commitment. It's forever. And I have said, if he decides to join the Hare Krishna movement, <laughs> that I'm going to support him and maybe go along and, you know, chant and so on. So that's one. The second is having children. Um, I always wanted a family. I always wanted kids. But um, they should tell you that before you have kids, that it means for the rest of your life, your heart is going to walk outside of your body. Hmm. And that's terrifying. Indeed. You have no control. And they, they at the same time, are wrapped around your heartstrings. So that's the second one. The third one is the most recent, which is physically moving to Zimbabwe, which my husband, I think, really eloquently talked about in the decision. For me, that's not the jump. The jump is the point right now where we're about to hit the water is and it's a question of alchemy, if you will. It's a swan dive, but it's a question of alchemy, which is you've got lead and you've got to make some gold. How do you take the circumstances that you're in and make them meaningful? For me, the swan dive is right now in Zimbabwe, trusting that we can make a difference, trusting that we can be in the process, trusting that you won't get muddied by corruption or um or get lost your values there's so much 
And you just got to take this leap. Like we're in this country, we, we were in the States for 30 years. We're in a country where we didn't really understand the landscape fully. We're navigating the coordinates. So, so to me, this is a massive swan dive. And I still feel like I'm a little bit holding my breath and I'm not sure if I've hit the water yet. Right. Right. Well, that's beautiful. There's a lot to unpack there. And it's distinctive. That answer, Your answer is distinctive because it's not a particular thing, a particular, you know, I was a, I, I was a, a doctor and I became a rock musician. It's, it's, yeah. it's much more metaphysical. Yes. And there's the three parts um, committing to marriage um, and, the, and, and the lifelong commitment that entails, committing to children and the eternal commitment that that entails. And then returning to your country and why returning to your country for better or worse. Um, and, and why that I, why I find that particularly notable and unique is that you are so many things, you know, you are a polymath, um, you definitive polymath and you excel at, at so many things. Uh, however, you didn't point to one of those things and 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 use that. You went to a much higher elevation and a much more spiritual place to define your pivot and your pivots, your ongoing pivot. And that's a beautiful thing. And and uh, for most of us, uh, ultimately, what we talk about in a swan dive is getting to who we really are and what really matters in our value system. Um, and on that note, I want to ask you uh, another question a question that you recently asked me. And that question is, how do you identify yourself? It's a great question. Um, And I define it, if I may borrow a little bit from Michelle Obama, I define myself as a a becoming. And um, what I had, what I really feel is I'm a seed. I define myself not by where, what country or what passport I'm carrying, although I do, I'm very proudly Zimbabwean. I don't define myself by where I am or the roles that I currently am performing, such as I'm a doctor or I'm a writer or I'm a mother, or those are roles that I'm performing at any given time. But if you ask me how I identify, which to me is sort of what gets, what keeps me going, what gets me up in the morning, what keeps me going, it's becoming, it's the the process of acquiring the nourishment and that sunshine, rain, uh, the right soil, so that I can come out of that shell and become authentically whatever it is that I'm meant to be. Um, And I know that sounds, it may sound evasive, but it's very genuine. I identify um, with my roles strongly. I love being a neurosurgeon. I love being a woman. I love being a wife. But ultimately, my commitment is to becoming. And are you able to are you able to articulate what it is that you believe you can and should become? Yeah. They. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really hard. I am committed to using the skill sets I've been given to benefit my society. Again, a lot of what I say may sound kind of corny, but it's very genuine and very sincere. So I know that I'm supposed to be a mentor. I know that I'm supposed to be a leader. I know that I am supposed to live a life that um, gives me peace and contentment, but that also 
inspires others on their journey as others have inspired me on my journey. So I'm, I feel very strongly about that. The, the What I feel less strongly about is the the format. So for some people, the fact that I'm a neurosurgeon and a writer seems conflicting. Um, in fact, I'll never forget the day that the New York Time, Times um, brought out my book as a notable book. And I got a screaming call from my chief resident. Like, what do you think you're doing? He screamed at me that I had to make a decision. I was either a neurosurgeon or I was an author. And I just laughed because I thought it was ludicrous. If you think of great inventors or people that we admire from the Enlightenment, they were they did multiple things. So for me, I'm not attached to the format in which I am helping or being, but I just, it matters to me that I am performing something within my society that is useful to others. It matters to me that I do something for my country, for my community or for my family. Um, and so that becoming, it doesn't have like a, I don't have a, a I have a clarity of vision in terms of what I want to be doing, but it's not hung up on the actual format or the role or my, 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 the clothing that I'm wearing or the city that I'm living. It's not, Mm -hmm. it's much more fluid, which is why for me moving to Zimbabwe wasn't necessarily the massive swan dive because I'm not attached to the location, which I'm contributing. Mm. The swan dive was the, philosophical underpinnings or the philosophical state or the mindset that I have to embrace to make change in Zimbabwe. And, and, and I want to pick up on that uh, becoming because it sounds like uh, uh, becoming is not mutually exclusive. Uh, the three things that you became, you became a wife, you became a mother, you became a, a proud Zimbabwean. Those are all intertwined in many ways. Is that the way you feel about it? Exactly, Ron. That's exactly how I feel about it. In fact, when you say that with the swan dive, it's about becoming your authentic self, I don't think I could be my authentic self had I not married Alan. Because having Alan as a partner has actually been liberating. It's allowed me to do things and feel things and go places and be with different people and experience things I otherwise wouldn't have been Hmm. able to do. Being a mother has brought out a side of me that I didn't know I have. And I think as parents, generally, that happens to everyone. You think, I didn't know I had that much love capacity within myself. And it brings all of these out. And so, and moving to Zimbabwe, being here, Zimbabwe is a very interesting place. And it's um, a little tricky to describe. You, Of course, you'll know about problems like electricity or water or potholes. It's not that it's navigating the the it's navigating yourself within a system that operates sometimes in ways that are counterintuitive um, and 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 where are the gray zones right how much gray can you tolerate um, and do you have a red line in the sand of things that you feel are uh, unacceptable and for example, you know, how active do you become within certain spheres? So those are, those are for me are, are the bits, but yeah, you're absolutely right. The becoming for me being who I am is all those things, all those pivots, all those dives all together. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you bring um, in terms of a point of view 
in the in the world is uh, the unique position of having lived in the United States and in the in uh, Europe and the U.S. for the better part of thirty years, and then you know uh, the other more or less half of your life um, in in Africa. I assume yeah. you you you've spent what twenty twenty five something to that effect. But my point is simply this: those two cultural. Uh, worldviews differ in that one is very self-centered and one is very communal centered. And it sounds to me like you land wholly and firmly in the African side of that equation in terms of taking care of the village, the tribe, the community and being of service, which of course is far more elevated and helpful, um, to the betterment of, of, of humankind. I'd like you to talk a little bit about how, how you grew and how both of those philosophies have informed you and, and will inform your future. It's such a great question and something that I'm actually very engrossed in right now, which is this idea of Ubuntu, which is the African philosophy of I am because you are. In other words, we are deeply interconnected and we can't really separate um, ourselves from each other. So I grew up um, in Rhodesia. I grew up in a very racist country. Um, It was fully apartheid. Um, There were uh, areas where blacks couldn't live, areas where whites couldn't live. But I grew up in a very warm um, rich family, which was very musical. My Both my cousin and my uncle are very famous musicians for playing the mbira, which is a traditional instrument. And when my uncle um, was spotted by um, a Professor Kaufman at the University of Washington, who saw him playing in the village, He'd, he had translated a traditional Christian piece into Shona with traditional music. And he gave him a scholarship to go to the University of Washington. Um, And the first thing he did was save money so that his older brother, my father, could come to the United States. And the first thing my dad did was um, work at a place called Food Giant, bagging groceries until he could get enough money for our tickets, uh, my my mom, my brother, and I, to go to the United States. Hmm. So... Already just from that, you can understand that you play it forward. It's that he, he, and because of what he did, so many members of our community are enriched. So in starting out from the very beginning, there's this sense of I need to give back because I've been given more than I, I you know, I had at the time, etc. Um, and so I do fall very squarely in that village um, society. I was also looking at COVID, if you want a really um, up-to-date example. There's a lot of um, discussion about why Africa has fared well with COVID. I think the Ubuntu model speaks to that, which is that in the United States, it's based on an individual rights model. So I have the right to do whatever I want, and you cannot infringe upon that right. And we see that as being free, right? But in Zimbabwe there's this understanding that each individual has to sacrifice a little bit for the common good. So that, and that is freedom, 
when the community is able to realize its aspirations, the community is free and there's freedom in that. So it's a different social contract. We go back to Rousseau and um, the founders of the uh, various social contracts within the UK, the US, um, and within African societies. You, you look at very fundamental contracts. COVID is a disease of public health, not individual, it's public health. So you need an intervention that speaks to the public good. You need an intervention that says, you know what, you may be inconvenienced, but overall the village will flourish. Mm. In Africa, it worked. We don't have fancy ventilators and medicines and vaccines, etc. But what worked was you got to wash your hands, you have to wear a mask, um, and everyone sort of did it. Mm-hmm. But on the Western side, there are pockets that feel that, no, it's my individual right. And it turns out that diseases like COVID and perhaps other crises are not well suited to that model of social contract. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, it's incredible because we're having this conversation not 48 hours after the U.S. president and a, and a great number of his inner circle uh, are positive with COVID and all of whom sort of wave this flag of, quote, freedom, unquote, and the in, in, in all of its absurdity with totally disregarding the public well, well-being and science, all while sort of alleging that this was in the interest of patriotism and free life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And of course, to most people, certainly outside of the West, it all was laughable and remains, you know, if it weren't so tragic, it would be hilarious. Uh, and, and so your point is so incredibly on, uh, of the moment. And hopefully this idea of Ubuntu is going to become the zeitgeist worldwide, because if it doesn't, we're basically doomed, I think. Yeah. Uh, but I don't want to, you know, get too off, off topic here. Um, Ron, I see that you want to have you have a question burning and well, you go yeah, for it. I, I do because this is so ironic that you talked about how much you're willing to tolerate, you know, and um and and yeah. that's where we are. I feel like you and I, Stu, or share this uh level of saturation with tolerance uh for for those things that we just talked about. But it really speaks to what do we deem our society? Uh, your dives into your family, your life, your profession, even the gifts that you received because of your society that enabled you to make your journey. Um, that's the underpinning of this, which is ironic and interesting to hear you say it with your perspective. Your society granted you your gifts in some respects. Let me ask you a question, um, because one of the things that we try to drill into, you know, the the the, the target audience here are people yeah. who have either made a swan dive, and so we're all kindred spirits in this in this adventure, or are pondering a swan dive, you know, sort of standing on that diving board with their yes. bare feet, as you say, and they're and they're they're really the butterflies and the nerves are sort of overwhelming them, and some are paralyzed. Yeah. So our our goal here is to help them just step off. Um, and one of the things that we like to talk about a little bit are are the the the, the problems, the the fears, the the mistakes, because things rarely go to plan as hard as we plan to be thorough and scientific about them. It's usually just uh, a hilarious joke in the end. 
And so I guess my question would be, in light of the various facets of your swan dives, swan dives, um, can you point to uh, a, a particularly dense learning experience where things really went kind of haywire, but you came out the other side with a whole new body of wisdom and knowledge that you didn't expect? Yeah, and I would two things come to mind. One is this very beautiful poem. Um, I think his name, name is Mike, Mike Elpa. I can't remember his name, but he talks about the courage of a drop, uh, a raindrop going down into the ocean and how courageous that must be, how frightening to be this little drop and you going down and you're going to be absorbed by the ocean. Will you have an identity as you land into this massive form where you are, where you start and stop is not clear. Wow. Moving, beautiful. It's so beautiful. Um, when I, um, I've had several, but let me just talk a little bit about a couple of things. One is um, being here in Zimbabwe, um, we got stripped down, which is what happens when you make a swan dive, right? I was Dr. Mariah Ray. I was this neurosurgeon. And I remember just walking into theater and like my, my special um, glasses were warmed for me. And I, it was just a prototypical spoiled rotten brain <laughs> surgeon, right? Um, and I came here and there was nothing. The equipment, uh, trying to do my first surgery, I, because uh, in America, as a surgeon, you walk into the hospital, they have everything you need. So we walk into this surgery. I booked the surgery. The patient's asleep. I'm about to open up the the, the patient. And uh, I ask for the equipment. And what comes out are museum pieces from like pretty much 1920 circa. <laughs> I'm thinking, holy, holy, what am I going to do? I've got this patient's asleep. Um, they put their trust in me. And I have never thought so fast on my feet mm. and it made me innovate. So I didn't have any of the pillars. So the diving board is gone. My feet are off and I don't have anything to hang on to. And I had to think and I created this system um, that we use in minimally invasive uh, surgery, usually very fancy and costs tens of thousands of dollars, but I used I cut off the tips of three syringes of different sizes and was able to create recreate this modular system that worked. And the patient woke up and thought I was a genius because they had a tiny, small incision and everything had been done. And I reconfigured the light and all this stuff. But it has been continuously like that in Zimbabwe. If you're going to make a swan dive, you got to get stripped of all your titles, all your accolades, because you're moving into a new area where... It's like it's like going to um, a country with a different currency, right? It doesn't mean anything. So whatever change you've got in your pocket, it's meaningless. It's useless. And that's how I felt. So I think for people making a swan dive, understand that you've got to get new currency. So I went into that situation, disaster. Um, didn't have any of the tools. None of the tools they had fit me. I couldn't understand. Even the language of the, the instruments was different, British versus American system. Um, the assistants didn't know me. They didn't know that I was any good. Um, and it's just that constant re-identifying yourself, having to prove yourself in a new environment. But at the same time, you pull from within. Again, you're a seed, right? So no matter how hard the conditions get, uh, with, a, with the right nourishment, 
you pop out, you germinate, you come out. And for Zimbabwean Zimbabwe, the hardest things were professionally not having any of the equipment. Um, secondly, with our family, we brought our kids from a very privileged um, living situation. And we get to Zimbabwe. And I remember one night, um, the, the, there was no water. All the lights went out. We had no electricity. And we, 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 my kids are like, what are we doing here exactly? <laughs> right. Um, and there's trash on the sidewalk and the news isn't great. And um, so for, for we did come out the other side because of the clarity of purpose. You know, we're still, we still have the struggles of fuel queues. We used to spend two or three days sleeping in a fuel line, a queue called here, waiting to get petrol because it was in such short supply. We've been through a coup. We've been through marching. In the, we've been through a lot in Zimbabwe. And you come out the other side, if you have a clarity as to what you're doing and why you're doing it, it's the why mm. um, in that swan dive. But uh, we, we've been through a lot. Yeah, these the, you know the two of the words that I use when people ask what what this is about, and and, and it's clarity yeah. and courage. Um, yeah. I mean, Ron doesn't like the word courage, but I uh, use the word backbone. Uh, so clarity <laughs> and backbone, you got to lean into this thing. Another thing that I'm hearing from you and that you exemplify, as does Alan, um, is that there's really it, the, the the Zen, the Buddhist notion of the just release of ego is paramount because it's, you know, ego is, 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 is destructive. I mean, I've been trying to kill my ego for 57 years. It's I'm going to kill it, Um, (laughs) but it's, it's not dead yet, but I'm trying, man. But Stu, Um, that ties back into identity. How do you have, you know, ego and identity are both tied together because at some point you have to have, I would call it ego to go into an operating room with somebody that's unconscious and you have the their life in your hands. That takes a degree of ego, and I suppose that's part of your identity. Well, I, well, I think that there are there's a way to use ego as a tool, um, but remember the, the driving force in Nosy Po's existence is the service of others. So she has. I mean, I guess, I don't know how you exactly define ego in this context, but yeah, you know who you are, you're aware of yourself, but not in a, in a sense, not in a proud way, look at me, I'm great, but like, I've got the skill to do this, cut that syringe needle off at two millimeters and I'll take it from there, not because I'm such a great person, but because I know how to do it and I'm going to serve this community. So it, it, it's a very nuanced but important distinction one is outward facing using ego to look outward and the other is taking ego to look inward which is pointless and destructive and of very little value typically no i think you guys are talking about um you know the swan dive and pivoting and um identity and it's interesting to me because i think if you could make if i could write a prescription everybody would have to lose their identity at some point, whatever it is that they are, um, they have wrapped themselves in as an identity. I would unravel it so that they would have to see themselves in the purity of 
of who they are without that wrapping. And that's the, that's really the swan dive, right? Because you were a banker, but now you're going to be a filmmaker. And, right. and you know how you, you go to a party and people always say like, so what do you do? <laughs> um, and, and you suddenly, you know, have to come up with something that has a business card attachment. Um, and yet we are much more than that because Sir, I know that I've known you for a long, long time, and your sister has uh, spoken so highly of you. All that time, the core, the seed is the same, but what you'd wrap yourself in was very different. Um, And so I know that you were, you know, on Wall Street and you were doing all this stuff, but I think if I'd had a a chance to see you in your vulnerability, most of the seeds for who you are now were there. Um, And so I think that the, the, the identity um, needs to be rattled, you know, and that's what you guys' show is about. And I would challenge people to say, you know, if you have a one liner of who you are, then scratch that. What would it, what else could it be? You know, because yeah. that's the pivot. Well, you, exe- you exemplify that in that, you know, you have the most impressive resume on earth <laughs> and you know, you're a surgeon, you're a writer, you're a Ted talk, person you're a, an entrepreneur you're a beautiful mother and a beautiful woman um however you did not cite any of those th- well you cited being a mother you did not cite any of your professional titles in describing your your authentic self um and i i feel that that particularly in the in the u.s um we have gotten so far off track in terms of isolating our, our authentic selves and identifying the beauty within and the dreams within um, as opposed to, as you say, the business card title that we really, really need to look at that because it's really not what's on the business card. It's who you are and how you serve and so forth. But, but I think going back to practicality, Stu, one of the things we love is to give those tools to others. And practicality, what you just talked about, um, the dexterity of yourself and your family to go back into a new environment, uh, dexterity of, uh, of innovation, uh, that's a big yeah. part of how we get to this place. And it seems like it was a big part for not only you, but everyone around you that you brought into this. You're absolutely right. So imagine the kids, right? They're the oldest is twelve, the youngest is let's say six, and they've lived in America all their lives. And um, I'll never forget one of my favorite stories. So I'm very into organic food, and I didn't let my kids go to McDonald's, and they didn't watch TV. So in the states, so they get to this new school, and, and the first things some kid runs up to them and says, Hey, so what's McDonald's taste like? And my kids are like, uh, We don't actually have no idea. <laughs> and another kid says. Um, it's actually funny because my daughter came home and said, Mom, have, have, Mama, have you heard of the Kadu? I was like, What are you trying to say, honey? She said, The kids at school asked me about some woman on TV named Kada Kadash, and I didn't know who it was. And so they all said, These are fakes. These kids are actually not from the United States. They're making it up to seem glamorous. Um, and the point being is that um, it's sort of humorous, but they had to completely reinvent themselves. They weren't strong on the local language, the local culture. It's a British system. And teachers were very upset because my kids would ask why they were doing something. And and that was not the uh, form. They had to wear uniforms. Good morning, sir. Yes, ma'am. Stand up when the teacher walks into the room. 
completely different paradigm of being. Uh, the rules of power are very different here in terms of the way people engage with their leaders. And so for my children, they lost everything that was familiar, their school, their friends, their activities. They had to learn cricket and rugby um, versus maybe baseball and basketball. And But it has made them so resilient. When I look at them now, uh, one of my daughters is in a place that where war had just broken out. And I was like, how are you doing? She's like, no, I'm fine. I got a lot of deadlines. I'm like, honey, what about the war situation? <laughs> and she's she's like, Mama, I'm from Zimbabwe. Like, you know what I mean? I've, I've seen it all. And it's that resilience that comes from having to recreate yourself and knowing mm. that, again, the seed remains. Knowing that um, if the soil changes, whatever happens, your kernel, all that self-contained um, information remains. And I think to your point, Ron, in terms of identity and pivoting, it's, it's understanding that you can innovate, you can become something else, you're resilient. Um, it, it's be- become actually a strength of our family as a result of having to make that dive. So what I find interesting is that Michelle Obama's book, Becoming, came out last year, and yet you've been living those chapters with your family <laughs> for decades. And my question <laughs> to true. you is, uh, do you have those open, candid conversations with your children about that concept of becoming? Oh, yes. My kids very much so. Um, We, again, what comes with clarity is a confidence that allows you to be open, um, to say to the the kids um, when they're questioning your decisions about the potholes and the trash in the street and you know, various uh, political upheavals. Uh, why are we here? Uh, why are you here? You seem to have been having a great time in America. What on mm-hmm. earth made you leave um, and bring us with you? Um, we have a lot of those conversations about becoming and identity. So my kids now, remember, they had this American accent. They're black. They went to a predominantly interesting enough white private schools or mixed. And um, they were sort of not quite black, not quite Zimbabwe enough for the Zimbabwean, black Zimbabwean kids because they weren't as adept with the language. They culturally were not as nuanced, but they weren't white. Although in some cultural ways, they they had things in common with some of the white students. So they were caught in this place and um, they eventually turned into a strength in that they actually were the kids that everybody could talk to. Everybody felt they could identify with them in different ways. But at the beginning, they were what you call the unicorn. They were very different from the other kids. And I said, you're authentic. If somebody says, well, you're not black enough or you're this or you're that, you are authentically who you are because you, can, you can't be more than the sum of your experiences. You're exhibiting your authentic self. If you were trying to be, um, for example, I think they leveled those charges at Obama. If Obama had tried to be something he wasn't, that would be very inauthentic and very immediately fake. And my kids have come to a comfort zone knowing that they are authentically the sum of the experiences they've had, including our travels all over the world. You know, I, 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 having spent time with your children, um, can say that they're so poised 
And uh, they're so lovely and so distinctive as, as our kids typically are for, you know, for different animals in in the zoo of life. Um, So well done, mama. Um, (laughs) I want to look forward. Um, Your first book is Enzele, a letter for my daughter, which I read 20 years ago, and everyone should read immediately. It's been translated (laughs) into 14 languages. It is a beautiful tone poem um, Mm. about um, a girl growing up in in Zimbabwe, a mother telling her daughter about life as it was and as it, as it should again be. Mm. Um, And now we will hopefully soon be graced with a new book. Uh, and I want you to tell us all about it and how you're feeling and what you're excited about there. Uh, the book is called The Race, which is very ironic. At the moment, um, the universe has a way of birthing things at sort of the right time. And so this book is coming out at what I feel is sort of the right moment. I wrote this novel, um, The Race, years ago and for a long time hesitated to actually send it out to agents or whatever because I thought it was a bit far-fetched. It's about Austin. He's a wonderful father, loving husband. Uh, He and his wife, Joy, have one son and they live in Oregon. He coaches the hockey team. He's he's just a, a solid guy, but he's also a white supremacist and the leader of his um, regional white supremacist group, uh, the Aryan nations. And um, and the story, and then the son, Rents, gets sick. And the, he gets sick with this very rare disease that's only found in genetically black people. And so begins this journey about the secrets that we have in our genes uh, and what being black or being white actually means and whether um, Austin, who has these beliefs, can come to a point to embrace uh, other. The, the book is a lot about self and other and how we identify self, what is self, and what is other. Mm. Because we are, we're primed to act against other. Our sympathetic nervous system is going to do the fight or flight mechanism against other, never against self, right? You don't see a group of, of, um, of, uh, of antelope running away from each other, the lion they run away from. So self is identified as safe and other as dangerous. And so um, in order to save his son, uh, Austin has to take a journey, both philosophical and physical, because the only person that has the genetic blueprint to save his son is a black man that has moved to, of course, Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I won't tell you any more of the story from there, but um, the, it's about, um, it's really about race and it's about how we see each other and love and forgiveness Um yeah. Do, do you realize how closely that uh, storyline, which sounds amazing, and I will get it as soon as it's in my hands, follows your three pivots of your family, <laughs> no. your children, no, no. and your homeland? No, it's so funny that you should put that all together. No, I hadn't. Well, there you it's have so it. Revealing. That, that's <laughs> literally the story you wrote 
as you were pondering yeah. who your identity was and what your pivots are is, is in fact the pages in the book that you're about to release. Oh, that's Nosy Poe, that, that, that storyline is, is chilling. It's amazing. It actually made me teary just because it's so profound and so relevant and uh, almost uh, um, eerily prescient having having writ- written this book you know in the last several years i mean that's just like who are you who are you nozipo marare <laughs> um and i can tell i'd like you i'd like to be the first to, to congratulate you on winning the man booker prize and the nobel prize for this, <laughs> this novel which you clearly will do so uh, but that is really that is really a beautiful uh, uh again it is a beautiful gift to your village and your tribe and your society, because those are the themes which are most pressing at this very moment. This notion of dispelling the other, this notion of grace, this notion of, 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 of tribe, Yeah, you know, we're one tribe. And if you don't buy that, you will die. It's just not that complicated. We are one tribe, period, full stop. And, you embody that and you represent that in both your words and deeds. And it's truly, truly a beautiful thing. You and this conversation today are why we are doing this. You are a gift and a beautiful, beautiful soul. And we appreciate you. We see you and the work that you do and have always done and will always do. You, you, are, you are a jewel and we, we honor you. Thank you for being part of Swan Dive. Thank you. And thank you for creating a point of light. It's the points of light that are connected that really shine and give us all hope. So I just want to thank you guys for putting out there this point of light. It's so meaningful. You touch so many people and I'm honored to be here. Um, Who knew when I met Julie, uh, Stu's sister, all those years ago that it would lead to so many wonderful things, what gifts of which today is one of them. Thank you very much. Umbato. Did I say that right? No, you didn't. No, but you heartfelt, but it was heartfelt. Okay. Ubuntu. Ubuntu. The intention was pure. I Ron, am I, because I, you Ron, are. Ron, I love you. You're just crying. <laughs> and you know I love you, too. <laughs> and, and I want to thank you, Nosy Poe, because you put it uh, so eloquently early on in this talk. Uh, your heart walks outside your body. Uh, I, I wrote that down as, as just a lovely gift that you gave as well, because that's what I feel when my children and, uh, and everyone's children, uh, that is a wonderful way to feel it. And if we all felt that way about this society, this community, we would all get through this so much better. So thank you. This has been another Swan Dive. Thank you so much. If you like what you hear, please write a review, share it with someone you love. And we'll be back with more stories of people pivoting and having that clarity and the vision to become their authentic, the best selves. This is Swan Dive. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Swan Dive. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and share this episode. Also, we are building a new season of Swan Dive. So if you or you know someone who has experienced a Swan Dive in their life, please hit us up and contact us through our website www.swandive.us.